Welcome to Odd Drummer Gaming, the podcast about stuff. My name is Edmund. Ouch. That's the sound of a sugar-free Red Bull. A sugar-free Red Bull. In this episode, I will be talking about Sonic the Hedgehog 2. I just finished watching it moments ago. I will get to it at the end of the episode. Before I begin, I want to talk about a family party that I recently went to, a, a Filipino family party. Um, my mom told me a while ago, she said, keep this date at the end of the month free because there's a family party. There's a your uncle's turning 83. There's some other May birthdays in it. Um, her birthday is also at the end of the month. There's a graduation in the mix. I'm like, all right, whatever, fine. And immediately I had all the anxiety in the world because my a lot of my cousins are what I consider to be successful as fuck. And I am the opposite of successful as fuck. And I don't know. It's just I have anxiety because... We don't live that far from each other. It's San Diego, and I live in the Riverside area of Southern California, which, you know, depending on traffic and such, it's about, I can't, I don't even know, uh, d- depending on where, between 40 minutes and an hour and a half, maybe. But, well, I can't even say due to the pandemic, we, we don't see each other that much. Even before the pandemic, we for whatever reason we didn't see that we didn't see each other that much but anyway they're a bit older and they're successful and i know the question comes up like what have you been up to are you still at that such and such job and whatever and they're all successful and i don't know i sometimes i wish my parents would treat me like the dursleys treated harry potter I wish they'd be like, we don't want anyone to know you're related to us. Just sit in your cupboard under the stairs, you fucking bitch of a son. Um, but they they don't at all. And uh, my mom's always very loving and proud, even though I feel like she should be embarrassed because I am extremely embarrassed of myself, of my personality, of my soul, of my job status, of my depression, of my anxiety, of my mental health, of my body, of my looks, of my face. But my mom's just always, she always feels prideful of me and I feel like she shouldn't. I'm speaking facetiously because I know there are terrible parents out there who hate their children. Um... But I'm trying to be funny. Anyway, we get down to the party. And uh, no, I'm not, I don't want to judge Filipino parties or Filipino people. I'm Filipino. But I made a joke with my wife. I was like, if there's a pig's head on the, on the table, I'm turning around and going home. Um, I don't care if you guys are in the car or not. I'm turning, I'm going in the car and turning around and going home. I was joking. 
But then my wife was like, no, that's for like special occasions, like weddings and stuff. Sure enough, we walk in there and there's a, a, a whole, not just a head, a full pig on the table. And it's just, it's part of Filipino culture. It's just, I just think it's weird. You know, it's, I think it's okay to think things are weird. There was a, a white woman, an attractive white woman that I used to work with, that she thinks it's weird to see the heads of fish. Um, like, if you open the freezer and there's a head, the fish's head is still on it. She thinks that's weird. And it's, you know, there's different versions of culture shock. Whatever. Um, it's just, I walk in there and there's a big old pig. It's dead and cooked and... You know, my cousin's like carving on. Anyway, it's just, I think it's weird. You go to the, I go to the backyard and immediately all, there's all, all these cliques of families, like one family sitting at a table by itself. You got the old school, old guys in the back table, smoking and drinking and talking about God knows what, probably hookers. And my wife is was born and raised in the Philippines. I was born and raised in the States. And most of my family are born and raised in the Philippines. So it's like different worlds coming together. My wife feels more part of the family than I do. I feel like the American white boy uh, boyfriend that comes to the family parties. And my wife is the actual one part of the family. I feel like the in-law. But I also have social anxiety and a shyness to me that compounds the situation. But for the most part, it was fine. Like, most of the anxiety is in my head. And my one cousin asks me, like, um, are you working from home? And I'm like, no, I'm working part-time from Amazon. And here's the thing, none of these cousins are going to judge me to my face. They're not going to say like, "What are you what are you fucking doing working at Amazon part-time while your wife works full-time as a nurse and you're in your 30s and you you're a loser." They would never do that. And if I still had a heart, if I had the capability of loving others, I would I would say that I I love my cousins, but my heart um, is lost to the world and broken 20 times over, and I've lost the capability to love, so I, I cannot, I don't, I'm not going to say that I love my cousins, or my wife, or anyone. Um, so they're always like, they're always supportive and nice, and I'm sure they talk about me behind my back because I talk about them behind their back. Um, I think it's human nature, but they're always very nice to me. And like my one cousin, he works like IT from home. He probably makes 45 to $50 um, dollars an hour, which to me is a fuckload of money. His sister is a RN, and their youngest brother 
works in graphic design and just started his own business. The oldest brother I forgot to mention also owns a laundromat. So they're and they have beautiful uh, families. My other cousin joined the Navy and, and has been in the Navy forever and she's like third highest on the ship. And then little Edmund um couldn't work for a year due to depression and works part-time at Amazon, which I shouldn't be ashamed of. I really shouldn't because working at office jobs for 12 years drove my mental health to a, a, a boiling point. And I am much happier now as a part-time Amazon warehouse worker than I ever was in an office, which is saying a lot. Also, you n- you never really know what personal issues and problems and irritants that they go through you know i shouldn't be comparing but you know i'm human and that's what i do um you know my one cousin was was like complaining about his son because his son was kind of complaining and his son's maybe like uh eight nine complaining and crying every few seconds and then he was like he's like this every day it's annoying (laughs) he's talking about his kid which is funny, and um, I don't know. Anyway, let us move on. Let's move on to the... I'm going to... Here's a new segment on the pod. It's called the Music Beat. Um... I studied music long ago. I'm a failed musician. And music doesn't really speak to me anymore. Not really. Like, I look on Amazon. I see a bunch of faces I don't recognize at all. I, I see names of musicians that I don't recognize at all. So I'm not in touch with the music of today at all. Maybe that's most people. Maybe they're similar to me where they listen to the same music that they have been for ages. Um, Maybe they're just their hearts aren't open to new music. But I know some people love listening to new music. So I don't know. I guess everyone's different. But I want to shout out to my acquaintance. His name is Max Kelly. He plays in a band called Bantamweight. It's a two-piece band. They're, I don't know how to, what genre, like a hard rock maybe. Two-piece band, there's the singer and bassist named Keith. And Max plays drums mostly, but he also inserts keyboards in there while playing drums. They're very good. I saw them in LA last night at the Whiskey A Go-Go in Los Angeles. I used to go to shows a lot. Um, not really to hear or watch musicians play, but to support my friends or acquaintances. I did it a lot, and I would um, video them on their phone, and they got a kick out of it. They were like, hey, can you send me clips? And I would send them clips, and they'd share it on their social needs. Um, Then the pandemic hit, and my social anxiety got really bad, so I just stopped going for a long time. So this is the first time I've been to a show in a very long time. And as soon as I decide that I'm going to go to the show, I'm already panicked about parking. I'm like, 
even if it's six months from now, oh, we're going on vacation, where am I going to park? Especially in LA. So um, it took, I, as soon as I put in the address to Whiskey A Go Go, the Waze told me it's going to be an hour and 45, 48 minutes, which is dumb, but expected. Um, I decided to detour to a guitar center. Um, to get earplugs, because I know those shows can be loud. I also got a pair of drumsticks, Peter Erskine, or Erskine, which is probably my wife's favorite drummer, because when we go to the drum shows, he, he calls him Calbo, which means bald in Tagalog. Calbo. And he she likes how he, quote-unquote, stirs the soup with his brushes. I think she has a crush on Peter Erskine. What was I talking about? Um, so I got there and it was fine. I found $15 parking. I think I think most um, maybe savvy street smart people would find street smart street parking. But I'm not like that. I just I just want my car to be in a, a good safe spot in LA. Mo um I get in there I talked to no one. I put I put my glasses on, my we'll see you in hell hat on. Um, most people are wearing band shirts or fedoras. I guess fedoras are big in LA because I don't see them in Riverside or anywhere. But there's like two, there was a bunch of people, a bunch of guys wearing fedoras or weird hats. Um, I don't know, it's a fashion thing, I guess. And they're wearing their band shirts like Metallica or bands I've never heard of. I walk into this thing wearing a Final Fantasy VII shirt with Tifa on it and a Spider-Man jacket. I got my mask on. Most people were not wearing masks. I don't... It doesn't bother me. Um, COVID's pretty much over, it seems. Today is June 1st, 2022, as I'm recording this. Um, I wore the mask just in case I saw anyone I knew. Um, that's why I was wearing the mask. I didn't talk to my acquaintance, Max Kelly, before the show, but I saw him afterwards. They played a great show. It's the first time I've seen them, seen them live. I, I went to a show of theirs before, but I had to leave early so I didn't get to see them so this was my first time seeing them live I got video of it they're very good um after the show I went to their merch table I got a, a shirt and a CD and I talked to him afterwards I haven't seen him since maybe 2020 or before that probably because of the pandemic and we don't live far from each other either, um, maybe 40, 50 minutes, but that's just how humans work these days, and also I tend to not speak to anyone ever. Them's the beats. I don't know what them's the beats is. I don't know what that meant at all. Anyway, the band is called Bantam Weight, as in like the boxing weight class. Check them out. Um... Just Google Bantamweight Band, I guess. Also, when I said um, I've been listening to the same music for ages, um, 
I was mostly talking about the Mars Volta. I disc- I discovered the Mars Volta from uh, an acquaintance in college, and I haven't li- stopped listening to them since. Um, I I love John Theodore. He's my favorite drummer, and the music they created between John Theodore and the Mars Volta. Although I've I've read that. Um, John Theodore didn't come up with most of those beats. They were created, and then he just played them, which, I don't know. It, it, it's fine. I just I still think John Theodore is an incredible musician and drummer. But I go through YouTube um, rabbit holes of just watching dr- John Theodore drums. John Theodore drums with uh, Mars Volta. So check them out. That's all for the music beat. Let's move on to the gaming beat. Da-da-da-da, gaming beat. That's the theme song. Um, so I finished Breath of the Wild. I'm going to go on a hopefully not too lengthy tangent on Breath of the Wild. but So I think I mentioned before that I, I purchased a Wii U cash, $125, and I went deep on Breath of the Wild. I... I would daydream about the game. I went, I just, I would think about it at work and then I would go home and play it from like 6 p.m. to 2 a.m. and just do it over and over. And I loved it. Um, I went deep with the Amiibo cards and I I loved the game so much that I didn't want it to end. Um, so I I would just constantly restart the game. And I think I've mentioned before, there's no time like that first um, time you play the game. What I mean by that, there's you you try to recreate the experience of that first time, but it ne- it never really reaches that peak for me, at least. That's why Breath of the Wild to me is not as replayable as like Pikmin Three Deluxe or Super Mario Odyssey, but um, so I, I put it down for a, a while, and then my uh, high school friend, Germsboro, started talking about Breath of the Wild. And we kind of made a, an unofficial pact that we're going to start it over, and we're going to beat Ganon this time. At least that's what a, a promise I said in my head. And so I've been playing it, I've been enjoying it, and then I've been getting towards the end, you know... Um, I've been completing all the shrines, completing the side quests, and I'm not finished yet. Um, but there was one afternoon where I kind of randomly decided I'm going to beat Ganon. You know, my wife went to the restroom to take a shit, and I was like, all right, I have at least three hours of free time ahead of me before she gets out of the bathroom where I can beat Ganon. I don't think it's going to take three hours to beat Ganon. But um, let's just do this. So I remember the moment I was sitting down in front of the door in my room. um, And then my new kitten, Lily, was playing with me. So she she is embedded in this memory as well. Um, I could essentially smell the shit coming from the bathroom like because the the shit 
coming out of my wife's butthole was pretty bad. But I was like, I'm going to beat Ganon. So, because it's, it's basically an arbitrary choice. I'm like, there's no time like the present. Just beat it. I didn't finish all the quests. I still have some shrines left. But I've been putting this moment off for five, six years. I'm like, let's just do it. So I did it. I went to the castle. I saved my game, went into the castle. I took a picture of Calamity Ganon. I took a picture of Dark Ganon, whatever the name is. I didn't take a picture of the light bow. Um, I got too excited and I grabbed it. And um, I tried to unequip it, but I couldn't. So I was like, dang it. I might have to do this again to take a picture of the light bow. But anyway, I, I beat it. I beat Ganon and... Um, it was very satisfying. I liked it. Um, I went like after it was all over. I guess I saw the secret cutscene, which is her like, which is Zelda saying, "We should go to Zora's domain and give King Dor Dorfa or whatever Dorafin some closure about her his daughter Mifa." And um, I didn't cry or anything, but when I was telling all this to my wife, I did feel my voice cracking a little bit, just because this has been a, a like a five, six year journey that I didn't want to end. And I'm like, you know, you, you have, you have to beat Ganon someday, like just, just do it. And this game is a perfect example of like the the best part of the journey is the journey, not the destination, or whatever the adage is. And, you know, I read some threads online saying that the ending was a little uh, unsatisfactory. There was one post saying, like, I prefer the Ocarina of Time ending where you pan over all the towns and everyone's cheering and you can, and everyone thanks you for doing a good job, da-da-da. And here it's just Link and Zelda talking, which I get, I understand, but um, but I liked it, and um, it's a really great game. And I gotta tell you, so after the game was over, I checked the save files, and the last saves are before you go into the castle, so it doesn't save after you beat Ganon. And all I want to do is just play Breath of the Wild again. Um, I keep looking up these articles and these posts saying, I Google games like Breath of the Wild. And so all these posts come up, you know, Horizon Zero Dawn, Forbidden West, The Witcher 3, Darksiders 2. There's all these games and if you're in a situation like me, I, I'm going to break the bubble for you. There's there's no game in the world that's going to be exactly like Breath of the Wild. Not even all that similar. Um, what you The game that you're looking for is Breath of the Wild, unfortunately. Um, so what you're going to have to do is either just keep playing it, and find the rest of the Koroks or start over. Because that's the only thing that's going to fill that void. 
there's no other game that's just gonna do it uh the, at least that's how i feel um i love the game i love the mechanics like i recently purchased um xenoblade chronicles on switch because there's a third one coming out and i've never played it well that's a lie I've played the intro before, and this happens every time. Like, I play, it happened this time also. I started it, I got through the intro, and as soon as I can save, I save it, and then I put it down. Um, there's like 20, 30 pages of tutorials that I don't want to read about. Um, you have to hit, uh, and this is a, it's similar to like the Japanese RPG where you don't press the button and it swings the sword. You have to hit attack. And I know Final Fantasy is all about that, but I just love in Breath of the Wild where you hit Y to attack. You hit the ZR button to bring out the arrow. It's very simple mechanics, very simple and streamlined game mechanics that I love that I'm like addicted to right now. Um... So hopefully one day I will open my mind and heart enough to enjoy Xenoblade Chronicles because I, it's a good enough franchise to warrant two sequels. And I know people love that game and love that franchise, but it's not hitting the spot for me at this moment because I'm, I just love Breath of the Wild. So I might start it over again. I don't, I don't know. Um, we'll see. But... I'm glad that I beat Ganon and I was able to complete that journey for for me. It's one of the, my fa it's one of my top gaming experiences ever that I've ever had for sure. And it I don't want it to end and it's not going to end cuz I feel like I just want to keep playing it. And now also I forgot to mention I I own Age of Calamity but I really don't like that gameplay, the hack and slash. It's very repetitive. And so the other day I watched, I googled on YouTube, Age of Calamity all cutscenes. And I just watched all of them. And it's essentially a movie because it's like two and a half hours of cutscenes. And I gotta say, it's very cool to see the cutscenes because I, I once posted a, tw a twit a twat on twatter i said they should make a breath of the wild prequel in the style of rogue one where the champions are alive and they fight um until they die and i made that post not to brag before age of calamity came out and then Age of Calamity came out, and it was essentially what I wanted, except I just don't like the game, the format of the game. So I watched all the cutscenes. It's very cool to see the champions alive and well and kicking ass, and they're all badass. And a young Impa, Impa, a young Pura, a young Robbie. And I, I don't know if it's canon. It's It seems to be like... It's an alternate timeline where this tiny robot, spoiler alert, named Terrako goes back in time and there's time time travel involved. It's um 
it feels like a revisionist type thing because all the champions survive, which is good and happy and I love it, but um, I don't know. It kind of takes away from their sacrifice and the epicness of the original game, but I still love it because in Breath of the Wild, everything's destroyed. Everything's um, dystopian and all the champions are dead. And so in Age of in Age of Calamity, at least you get to see Hyrule when everything was good and alive and vibrant. It was kind of like that movie Tomorrowland, where all the good parts were in flashbacks. Then when you finally get to Tomorrowland, it's like a shit show. The movie, I, if I can remember correctly, was also a shit show. Maybe I should revisit it. Anyway, I, I liked seeing the Age of Calamity cutscenes, um, that Revali's a real prick, if I may say. Um, although, I can understand why they went in that direction. Like, not all the heroes can be these kind of great-hearted, um, confident heroes. That would be very bland if all of them were like that. So I liked how they threw in a, a curveball. But... I, I cheered when they showed Teba, which I've been pronouncing Tebow, uh, not Tebow, Teba. Um, Tim Tebow. Teba, but it's pronounced Teba, and I, I cheered when he showed up. And um, I don't know why Sidon was huge compared to Mifa. I guess that's just a difference between male and female Zora. But it was cool. So. If you don't want to play through Age of Calamity, I suggest going through the cutscenes because it was pretty cool. Let's move on. I'm at the 30-minute mark. I sure do like to talk about myself, don't I? I think that's that's what podcasts are. Let's move on to the news beat. Uh, Ray Liotta. Dead at 67, I think. Which really sucks. Um, You know, I don't have the nostalgia or... I'm not not that big of a fan of Goodfellas that Joe and Pat are. So I don't have the nostalgia for that. Um, but I, I've seen the movie. I think he was great in it. I thought he was a great actor. Last I saw him was probably Hubie Halloween. I've seen him in a bunch of stuff. For some reason, when I think of Ray Liotta, I think of him in the box art for Karina Karina, which um, also features Whoopi Goldberg and the girl from... Um, I was going to say Matilda. That's not her. That's a different girl. She's the girl from Napoleon Dynamite. But um, I've never seen Karina Karina. I have no idea what it's about. I, I think there's a seal in that movie, unless I'm mixing up. Back to real Ray Liotta. Um, so I can't. He's one of those actors that was like, I feel like he was in everything and he was in a bunch of movies I've seen, but I never really uh, appreciated him. 
as much as I should have. Um, he's probably in a bunch of things that I don't even remember that he was in. And he was a really great actor. And it's a bummer that he's gone. He died in his sleep on May 26, 2022 at the age of 67 during the filming of Dangerous Waters. He, um, I showed a picture of Goodfellas, like a poster of Goodfellas to my wife. And I said, one of these actors died, guess who? And first he, she pointed to Robert De Niro and I was like, no. Then she pointed to Joe Pesci and I was like, no. And then she pointed to Ray Liotta, which is the surprise because he's the youngest one. Joe Pesci is 79, Robert De Niro 78, and Ray Liotta dead at 67, which is, it sucks, it's crazy. Rest in peace, Ray Liotta. Um, I don't, I don't know why I have Obi-Wan listed in Newsbeat, but Obi-Wan, I watched the first episode I didn't get through all of it. I was just extremely tired. My wife was also extremely tired. So we watched maybe half of it, maybe 20 minutes of it, and then we stopped. I'm excited to check it out. We got to the scene where he was like trading parts of his ship to that, I don't know what it's called, a Jawa or something. And I'm excited to finish it. Um, so that's all I have. You know, we watch The Mandalorian, we like binged through rather quickly. You know, we would probably watch a few episodes every time we sat down to watch it. And then Boba Fett will watch one episode and then 6 weeks will go by before we'll watch another another one. I don't know, there's a a, a slowness to it. I also don't like the language. Um you know, she, I th- I don't know if I mentioned this before, but Ming-Na Wen will be like, you're not going to go after the Bafufta, are you? And and, and then um, Boba Fett will go like, Credips John, no. Um, I don't know what a Credips John is. But that stuff is kind of weird, and it's like, they're inventing a language for the Star Wars universe, and it just comes off as weird and kind of annoying. And I always ask her, do you want to watch the rest with me? And she's like, yeah, we can watch it, but I don't think she likes it. And if I'm being honest, I don't think I love it either. I enjoyed The Mandalorian a lot more than Boba Fett, um, I gotta say. Um, Edmund's sad stuff. Um, let me look at my Amazon orders to see what other purchases has brought me down into financial ruin. I purchased Pac-Man Museum Plus. And I bought it on Switch for like 30 bucks. I don't know if I can recommend it because I'm, if I do play it, I'm going to play Pac-Man I'm probably not going to play the other games. I only played them because you have to play some of them to unlock the rest of them. There's a bunch of weird ones like platformers and ones where you roll around. 
that's not really my bag. Um, if you're a Pac-Man enthusiast or a big fan of Pac-Man, the mo- the game, the franchise, check it out. Otherwise, I I don't know. There's also a Namco museum or a Namco pack, including Pac-Man, which that'll probably suffice. I don't think you need to run and go out, go out and run and pick up Pac-Man Museum Plus. There's like 14 games, and I'll probably play one or two of them. Just saying. Um, let's move on to the movie Beat. All right. Is everyone okay? There's no one here. I watched a perfect pairing. Um, I didn't choose it. My wife started playing it on Netflix, I believe. And, you know, we didn't decide to watch it. She just started playing it and I happened to be awake. And uh, so I watched it with her. Um, I liked it. It is... It's it's listed here as a romantic comedy. It's it's more like a romantic dramedy, but directed by Stuart McDonald, um, written by Elizabeth Hackett and Hilary Gallinoy. None of these names are clickable on Wikipedia. Uh, so Victoria Justice, I've never seen her act in anything prior to this. Um. She's very attractive. And, you know, I've seen clips of Victorious. But um, it was on Nickelodeon. I wasn't wasn't sure if it was Nickelodeon or Disney Channel. But I know she was popular on Victorious. I've never seen it. I've seen clips of her acting. You know, classic child actor, Nickelodeon acting. But... This is the first time I've seen her act. Um, Adam Demos is in this movie, who I didn't recognize either. And I gotta say, I like the movie. I think it's because it's a quote-unquote rom-com. It's a feel-good rom-com. And in a period where, you know, the, the world is terrible, my mood is terrible... I'm depressed. Um, sometimes all you want to do is feel good. You know what I mean? And I-, I watched this movie and it made me feel good. I will say that Adam Demos, I felt his acting was a bit stiff. But by the end, I feel like that it fit that character. Um, if that's all he can do in every role, uh, that's going to be a problem for me. Not that... Um, I have the ability to be a hindrance to anyone in the world, but I, I want to say that Victoria Justice, like, I know this is the first and only thing I've seen her act in, but it feels like this movie or seeing her act in this movie is all I need to know about Victoria Justice. I liked her in the movie. I thought she was pleasant, but, um... I feel like she's acting in the same exact manner as in Victorious. Maybe that's me being a little too quick to judge. Um, Maybe I'm completely wrong. But I feel like she's going to do this kind of shtick in every role. 
which is kind of unfair for me to say because I haven't seen her in anything else, but that's what it feels like. And like going back to Moonshot, the rom-com, I liked Moonshot a lot more than this one, but I may have overrated that because I thought that Big Daddy, a.k.a. Sweet Life of Zack and Cody, I liked him in that movie. I felt like he was charming and, and funny, but I feel like he might be doing a similar thing to Victoria Justice here where it's the same shtick in every role, but I, I don't know. I'm not sure. And Victoria Justice, like, uh, she's 29. She's gorgeous. But um, I feel like, you know, some child actors don't make it out alive. You know, a lot of them commit suicide because they just can't. You're supposed to be a child. You're supposed to grow up normally with normal people who are poor, just like you are, who are nobodies, just like you are. But when you're a child star and you're all of a sudden famous and rich and you can't have normal poor peers like normal poor kids, you're of you're all of a sudden rich and famous, they don't make it out alive because they don't know how to deal with the fame and the fortune as an adult, so they kill themselves. So on the one hand, I I commend Victoria Justice. I applaud her for keeping this kind of um, wholesome image and wholesome persona, I guess. Um, there is, I mean, she has a, a kiss scene here which is very tame she appears in like a a shirt and a a I don't even know what you call it a bathing suit where you kind of she looks like she's wearing panties and she goes swimming but she still has a shirt on so that's quote unquote edgy I guess for but she's like 29 she's not a child she's um grown adult so on the one hand, I commend her for keeping her sanity and maintaining this image for her f and as a role model for little girls, I guess, who grow up watching Victorious. But on the other hand, I, I hope I hope she kind of tries to stretch out her acting skills and goes in other directions because this feels like exactly in line of a a former Nickelodeon star going on to do an adult thing. It's it still feels very tame. Again, I'm I'm talking from the experience of someone who has watched her act in one movie. I probably talked about Victoria Justice way too much. Also, I want to mention that the dad character in this is so bizarre. Because you see him in the trailer, and my wife thought that he was the boyfriend character. I thought he was the um, gay best friend character. And when he enters the frame of this movie, and she's like, But Dad, I was like, what? His voice is too high to be a dad character. He, His whole vibe is youthful and feels he feels like a peer 
He feels like the spirit of a gay best friend vibe. He doesn't give off the vibe of a dad at all. At one point in the movie, she refers to, um, my dad is my best friend. And I'm like, yeah, I think your best friend is not your dad. It's It was just weird. So watch out for that. Um, the rest of the cats casting was aces. It was just this dad character, like bizarre. Like maybe he was the casting director for this movie. And he was like, you know what? I can play the dad. Um, it was just weird. All right. It was weird. Moving on to. I'm going to talk about Lenny. I watched Lenny. Joe DeRosa mentioned Valerie Perrin, Perrin, who was in a movie that he watched, but she was also Miss Tessmacher, Tessbacher in Superman. So I watched Lenny. Lenny was very good. Um, Lenny was 1974. I watched it on Canopy. Um, a movie about the comedian Lenny Bruce starring Dustin Hoffman as the title character and directed by Bob Fosse. Screenplay by Julian Barry based on his play of the same name. Valerie Perrin plays Honey Bruce. So the movie jumps back and forth between Lenny's stand-up and his personal life. He meets... Um, this stripper named Honey. They get to know each other. They get together. They become an item. They get married. Lenny um, you see into his home life with his mother and his aunt. Uh, Lenny Bruce, I don't know much about. The few times I've landed on his Wikipedia page, I just know that he was an early comedian who... I guess I thought he had edgy jokes. That's why he was arrested for obscenity, which is not totally accurate. Um, in the movie, he's arrested not for saying the N-word 80 billion times, but for saying the word cocksucker, which was in interesting that he wouldn't get in trouble for saying the N-word, but he was he got in trouble for saying the word cocksucker. I wrote down a quote that I liked. He was talking about the word, the N-word. And then he says, it's the suppression of the word that gives it the power, the violence, the viciousness. So it's like, we as a people give it this power because we refuse, it's the suppression of the word N-word, which... I, un I, I like the spirit of what he's saying. Um, I, I understand it. I get it. I can get behind it. The N-word, I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to say it because I don't want to open that bag. And also, it's a, a terrible word that was used historically to put down a people. Um, and I think we've all accepted that that's a, uh, it's a bad word. It's a negative word. It's, it shouldn't be said. Um... I feel that same way with words like the F slur for gays. It was always a bad word. It was always a, it had a negative connotation. I'm speaking as if I know anything about the history of these words, but 
Um, I'm trying to speak honestly from my point of view. But I think we're in a, a worse situation now than Lenny was in 1950s and 60s. Um, because, because of cancel culture and because we're, police aren't policing people's language, it's dumbass people on Twitter on social meds that are dictating what can and can be said. And for example, like the word used to be whore and then hooker and then prostitute now sex worker. I, I don't like that. I don't agree with it. I think it's dumb. I think it's dumb that guilty white people are inventing new words to make themselves feel better about themselves. They are creating new acronyms every month to make themselves feel better about themselves. I, I hate it. I hate it. Um, we don't have to get into that that much, but Lenny Bruce, I, I like I liked the movie a lot, Lenny. I think it's the first movie by Bob Fosse I've seen. Um, Dustin Hoffman is tremendous in the role. Um, I thought he was very good. I feel like he disappeared into the role um i thought valerie perrin was very good as honey let me look at this on wikipedia it has 89 percent approval rating um the critical consensus jesus christ critical consensus set reads Dustin Hoffman inhabits Lenny Bruce with nervy energy in Bob Fosse's richly styled telling of the pioneering comedian's career and downfall. One of the less enthusiastic reviews came from Roger Ebert stating, unless we go in convinced that Lenny Bruce was an important performer, the movie doesn't convince us. British film critic Mark Kermode put Hoffman's performance as Lenny Bruce at number eight in a top 10 video of Hoffman's best performances. Um, let me see. Valerie. I thought it said that Valerie Perrin won best actress. Um, now she was, it was nominated for a bunch of Academy Awards, but it didn't win. It was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, um, Best Screenplay Adapted from Other Material, Best Cinematography. According to Wikipedia, it was nominated for all these, but didn't win any. But I like Lenny a lot. Um, I re recommend it. Um, if there's a good... I, I hope there's a good documentary about Lenny Bruce, because... Pat Walsh mentioned that thing where biopics, you you don't know if any of this actually happened. And yeah, you're getting kind of a, a, a small, concise story about this real-life human, but you don't know what's accurate and what's not. I'm not sure how I feel about the gimmick of people being interviewed. It feels kind of... it's similar to a mockumentary type thing that I didn't really like, but it's a good movie, really good performances. Um, it, it's crazy that a comedian was 
arrested for what he was saying because it reminds me of Chappelle where like my friend my acquaintance used the term Chappelle is a good orator a great speaker um with jokes sprinkled in and that's it seems like Le- that's what Lenny Bruce was becoming he he was like he had some strong interesting so views about politics and he was saying that people are hypocrites and we live in a hypocritic hypocritic hypocritical society and that's kind of like what Chappelle's doing now but Lenny Bruce got arrested for it um but still I think we're worse off now because we we are being dictated by over oversensitive loser ass bitches on su- social media sushi that's lenny i recommend it check it out uh, i watched it on canopy and let's get to the kind of meat of this episode i'm at 53 minutes i sure do like to talk about myself don't i um i'm gonna do a double thing well i'll just end the movie beat with I rewatched Sonic the Hedgehog and I think it was my third time watching this movie first time I watched it in theaters and I liked it fine my wife didn't like it and she was like it's a weird movie I didn't like it I was like do you want to watch the second one she was like nah which is weird because she'll usually watch anything with me but she just has no interest in this which is fine um uh so I watched it a second time at home and I think I dinged it a bunch just cuz it felt very childish to me. I think I liked it not that much second viewing. But upon this third watch, I I liked it a lot um mostly because of Jim Carrey. Um Jim Carrey, I think he he's hilarious in the first Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Um, I want I can't even say that every line is laugh out loud because there's a two minute sequence where he's just dancing and he's hilarious. But essentially, every line that he says in that first movie is hilarious. And one of the um, memorable ones was Cyclops goes. Oh, do you know my friend Spencer? He works in the Department of Power. And then Jim Carrey goes, or Riddler goes, Oh, Spence, he's a good man. Like, that made me laugh. And a bunch of stuff from Jim Carrey made me laugh. Um, I don't like the childish stuff. It's weird because Sonic the Hedgehog, as an entity... um. I have the nostalgia for playing the games when I was a kid, but I play the games now and I don't really love them. They're kind of too wonky for me. Sonic the Hedgehog's all all about being fast and you want you want to get through the games as fast as you can cuz that's kind of the point of the game, but there's enemies everywhere, there's spikes everywhere, there's cliffs everywhere, so you can't really go that fast and someone uh, compared the games to rhythm games but I don't know 
So I'm not a huge fan of the games, even though the games have like a billion spin-offs at this point. And I'm I'm glad that the franchise has survived and the character has survived and kids are discovering it and enjoying it. But it's not like you compared to Super Mario Brothers and those games and the franchise, it's it's a it's no contest. Super Mario wins a thousand percent. But I'm happy for its success, and I'm I'm bummed that Sega kind of lost in the console wars, and they weren't, they didn't survive. But I'm glad they they continue to make software and films, and I'm glad for the success of the movies. So I like the first Sonic the Hedgehog a lot. Um, let me talk about James Marsden for a minute. J- James Marsden. Like, when you compare him to, like, Chris Pratt, I don't like Chris Pratt. I've said it 80 billion times before. Chris Pratt is so one-note. He's basically a piano with one note on it, like one white note. Um, He can't go minor. He can't go major. He's one note. He's the same character in every role. He can't change his voice. He can't change his mannerisms. And James Marsden could have easily fell into that same trap, but I feel like he didn't. Um, The first time I saw him was as Cyclops. And, you know, he's very serious. He's very stern in that role. And he's, he's a leader. And I think he's very good. Um... And then you see him in like Enchanted, and it's a very different role. And I don't know if I've seen Enchanted, but by all accounts, I believe he pulled that off. And then in Sonic the Hedgehog, he's playing a different character as well. He's he's a husband. He's a cop. He has aspirations. Um, I think he's very good, and I think he's a very good actor, and he's able to differentiate himself in different characters in different roles. Tika Sumter, I'm just going to go ahead and say Hachi and leave it at that. I I really liked her a lot as um, Michelle, the future Michelle Obama in, um, what's that movie, Southside with You, Michelle Robinson. She was very good. In this movie... I feel like she's having fun with the role, but it's just, it's a small minor role. It's the wife role. Um, But I like her in it. She's pleasant enough. But Jim Carrey for sure steals the show in that first Sonic movie. If if you haven't seen Sonic 1, rewatch it for Jim Carrey. Because I I just think he's hilarious. And it's, it's funny how... Like I, I'm I'm depressed and I like dark humor, but he managed to make me laugh plenty of times in a kids movie. That's something that I need to um, reconcile with because I, I'm I'm watching these movies with an open heart, but they are kids movies. They are movies based on video games that are made for kids. So I'm I'm a an adult in my thirties trying to enjoy these children's movies that are based on video games that were made for kids that I semi enjoyed when I was a child. So it's a very layered experience. But 
this third watch I liked um Sonic One. I like Ben Schwartz in that role. Um I think he does a fine job as Sonic. Um probably better than Steve Yuckle. Alright. Now let's move on to the main event. We're only an hour into this podcast. If anyone's still listening, what's wrong with you? Sonic the Hedgehog 2 came out in 2022. Let's compare the two a little bit. Same director, Jeff Fowler. Writers, the first one was written by Pat Casey and Josh Miller. Second one was also written by Pat Casey and Josh Miller, but they added John Whittington. Um, So we have the same, essentially the same batch of people making the first and second one, which to me is a little surprising. But let's move on. Um, Came out in 2022. They added Idris Elba as Knuckles the Echidna. Um, They also added... Colleen O'Shaughnessy as Miles Tails Power. Um, I don't even know where to begin with this movie. The movie opens with a robbery that uh, Sonic is trying to thwart. And there is a security guard who is acting cartoonishly that I did not care for. And again, I'm trying to open my mind and heart and say, like, you know, this is a kid's movie, and I get that. But also, I, I'm i not going to like a bunch of stuff in it. I forgot to mention that that bar scene in Sonic the Hedgehog 1, I, I kind of hate that scene. I hate that sequence. But it's for kids, so I know kids are going to like him square dancing in a bar. It's not for me. Um. In Sonic 2, they they have lengthy sequences that I really hated. And I wish they just cut it out. I wish they just cut it out of the movie. Um, and again, it's a kid's movie, fine, whatever. And I can't be selfish and be like, well, every movie has to adhere to my standards and my guidelines. I don't want to do that, but... Um, let's look at budgets. Sonic 1 had a budget of 85 to 90 million doll hairs. Um, Sonic 2, they upped it to between 90 and 110 million doll hairs. The box office of 1 was 319.7 million. The box office of 2 is 350. 385.8 million as of today, June 1st, 2022, which is surprising because, wait a minute, Sonic 1 came out in February 14, 2022, which is like right before the pandemic hit, which is surprising to me. I thought it came out before. But now, 
the pandem- pandemic's essentially over, but I thought that people were still kind of hesitant to go to the theaters. But the movie's been only out only been out for April, March, or April, May. Less than two months, and it's already grossed more than the first one, which is surprising to me. And again, I'm happy that it's doing well. The sequence... <sighs> There's a lengthy dance sequence with Russian dancers in this movie that I hope kids enjoyed, but I just, I really hated. I don't know. And um, Tails has this gadget that turns him into a bunch of holograms. And I'm like, this is not for me. And, And you think that they're about to throw Sonic and Tails into a fire. And then Tails looks at his gadgets and he's like, Pivanka. And then it turns out you have to battle in a Pivanka and whoever wins gets to win. And so they have a dance battle. I'm like, I guess kids are going to enjoy this, whatever. It was a lengthy sequence and I thought it should, if not cut out completely, at least reduced. I mean, maybe... Maybe we don't need a 45-minute dance battle between Sonic and Tails and very good Russian dancers. I don't I don't think it's necessary. And I wonder if there's a Russian alliance of Russian alliances that are offended by the depiction of Russians in this movie. Which they shouldn't be because the dancing was very good. Um... The second sequence that I I just absolutely hate it. Look, so in the first movie, there's a character. It's um, Tika Sumter's sister, played by Natasha Rothwell, who I've only seen in three things so far. Um, Sonic the Hedgehog, where she plays a... um, a minor role of her sister and she she hates cyclops that's kind of her shtick in the first one it's kind of a weird thing to insert into the movie but whatever maybe maybe they had this subplot planned for the second movie she was also in wonder woman 1984 which i watched and i don't remember her being in it at all she's going to be in wonka she was in The White Lotus, and she was very good in The White Lotus. She, she A very different role from this character in Sonic 1 and 2. She played Belinda. She was a main character. She It was a serious role. She was great in it. I hate her character in, the, in Sonic 2. Um, there's, there's a sequence where, spoiler alert for Sonic the Hedgehog 2, where it's revealed that her fiance ends up being a sec- like a secret agent, like an undercover agent, and it's like okay, her uh, secret agent, da da, which is okay, fine. But then there's a lengthy sweet sequence where she tries to run him over with a golf cart, and 
he realizes that he's actually in love with her. And I'm like, okay, if this is a kid's movie, I don't think kids are going to like um, the main character, character Sonic's dad. Let me try that again. I don't think they're like they're gonna like the lengthy subplot sequences between the main character Sonic's dad's wife's sister's exploits between her and her undercover cop FBI agent fiance. They easily should have and cut that sequence either down or out. Um, I really didn't care for that. Um, for the first hour of this movie, I I was digging it. I, I well, I was trying to like it because I I was excited to see the sequel to a movie I generally liked, and it's a movie based on a video game. So I was excited to well, quote unquote excited to see it. I was looking forward to seeing it. The first hour, I was kind of into it. I was trying to be into it, but during that sequence, I felt very checked out from the movie. I just thought it was very dumb. I don't think I don't think kids are going to like it. I certainly didn't like it. Um it, they need it fe- it felt like a lengthy deleted scene that needed to be cut out of the movie. And that's why I said I was surprised that this movie was directed by and written by the same people as the first one. Um if they cut out, if they reduced I think the movie is over 2 hours long. Um, it's a hundred no, it's 90. No, what am I looking at? It's 122 minutes. So it's two hours and two minutes long. First of all, kids don't have that kind of attention span. Um, and adults don't because of their phones. So why make a kid's movie over two hours long? If they reduce that dance sequence down and they reduce this, um, I don't even know what to call it, sequence down, they could have had a, a much stronger, much tighter, much better movie. That's my opinion. I feel like they tuned, they tuned down Jim Carrey's comedy in this movie a lot. He still has some shtick in it. I laughed when he said to Knuckles, you're about as um, useful as a backstage pass to Limp Biscuit." I kind of chuckled at that. Um, but other than that, I didn't laugh much at Jim Carrey's character, Dr. Robotnik. Not nearly as much as the first one. I thought Idris Elba did fine as Knuckles. Um, Colleen O'Shaughnessy, like Tails was kind of annoying, but you know, that's for kids. It's basically kids or Sonic's buddy, Sonic's little best friend is like, okay, I don't, maybe I should leave. This is like Box and the Hound up in this bitch, you know? Also, are white people going to be offended because Dr. Robotnik said, this is how I roll? Are they going to be offended like that? About that? Stupid ass. Um... At the end of this movie, at the climax, you have a gigantic um, Dr. Robotnik in a gigantic robotic armor suit. 
it's huge. It reminded me of like a gigantic I um juggernaut from the X-Men movies, but also also from the arcade game. It looked like the shape of it from the arcade game. But also of the the Hulkbuster, I think it's called in Age of Ultron. But it was huge. And you got Sonic and Knuckles and Tails teaming up. And I know kids are going to love that sequence, that climax of the movie. I know I know they are. And if I'm being honest, I, I thought it was pretty cool too. You got the three of them teaming up and Knuckles used to be a bad guy. And now he's he's all about honor and standing by people who respect you and you respect them and their friends. And the the heart of Sonic 1 is Sonic just wants friends. And then Cyclops in this movie, he's like, I wish um, Sonic had a squad just like the undercover FBI agent did. And in the end, he gets it. So you have the three of them teaming up against this giant robotic uh, robot. And it's a pretty cool sequence. Um, And that part worked. So there are parts of this movie that worked. Just... The two lengthy sequences I really wish they cut out or cut down. It was it was unnecessary. I mean really. They 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 should have done some editing. I mean two hours. Jesus Cristo. What's Sega Sammy? I saw that at the beginning. Sega Samuel. I, I don't know what Sammy is. What is what is that? Um Oh, I guess there's something called the Sammy Corporation. There was a merger between the Sammy Corporation and Sega. Um, I've never heard of Sammy, but congratulations. Let's see. Um, The film received praise for its action sequences, performances, humor, and the animated characters, but criticism for its screenplay, runtime, and pacing. Um, that, That pretty much nails it. Action sequences are cool. Performances were cool. Humor, some of it was fine. Animated characters, fine. Screenplay, runtime, and pacing were criticized. That's that's on the money. Um, Many critics considered the film an improvement over its predecessor. I disagree. Um, the, The link... The article that this links to, it says, Dazzling visuals and an amped-up Jim Carrey saved the day. Um, I disagree. I think he was Jim Carrey was a thousand times better in the first one. I don't blame Jim Carrey. I blame the writing. Um, although Jim Carrey in the first one, it feels like he was improving a bunch. And in this one, it feels like he was not improving a bunch. In the first one, it feels like they just let him free like an animal. Um, and in this one, it it's not like they tamed him. It just felt like they stuck to the script and the script was not great. And he was more menacing, like once he gets the emerald. Also, there was a few lines in this that reminded me of in, um, Avengers and Thanos because... They said, whoever collects the seven emeralds gets the giant green emerald. And you you can 
turn your thoughts into power. That sounds very Infinity Stones, Avengers, Thanos. At one point, I think Jim Carrey says, um, your loyalty is inevitable, which sounds like Thanos saying, I am inevitable. It has grossed over $385 worldwide, becoming the highest grossing video game film in the United States and the sixth highest grossing film of 2022. So that's interesting. So this is the highest... Wait a minute. Um, so I guess they're talking about U, U.S. Um, God damn it. Wikipedia, organize your pages. So Sonic 2, it's saying... Um, becoming the highest grossing video game film in the U.S., so in the U.S., it's the highest grossing video game film. However, um, in terms of worldwide, Warcraft is the highest, I guess. Jeez. Oh, because Warcraft and Starcraft was huge globally, I guess. And then Detective Pikachu, Rampage, Uncharted... Which is, I think Sonic 2 is going to beat Uncharted. But anyway, I have no interest in watching Uncharted. Unfarted, you know what I mean? I don't think you do. Um, sixth highest grossing film of 2022. Let's look at, let's look at the highest grossing films of 2022 according to Wikipedia. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, followed by the Batman, followed by the Battle at Lake Changjin 2, um, followed by Uncharted, followed by Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore, The Secrets of Cumbledore, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Top Gun Maverick, Too Cool to Kill, Nice View, The Bad Guys. Um, back to life, back to reality. A third film as well as a spin-off television series focusing on Knuckles are in development. Um, there's also a mid credit scene, secret scene, a spoiler alert that talks about Project Shadow. I'm not... I'm not in the know in terms of the lore between Sonic. So I don't really know what Project Shadow. It just looks like a black Sonic. Um, so let's see. Um, am I breathing loud enough into this? Hold on, I'm reading through the critical responses. Uh, Amy Nicholson of the New York, New York Times gave the film a positive review, saying, Jim Carrey's reprised role as a villainous weirdo helps this fast-paced, family-friendly video game movie sequel maintain a refreshing silliness. Nell Minow gave it two out of four stars, saying, Yes, we know we're appropriating details from better movies. What? 
it is overplotted with three different storylines mixing comedy and adventure. Alex Stednin, 7 out of 10. Sonic 2 brings all the humor and charm of its predecessor while also being delightfully more loyal to its source material. Um, Jim Carrey gets to be unfettered in his performance. If I knew what an unfettered mean, I think I would disagree with uh, Carlos Aguilar. Um... Uh, this is great podcasting material. So I was laughing at this part where it says, Sidant Adlaka of IndieWire gave the film a C- and wrote, It's visual soup. All right, I'm already out of the review when you say it's visual soup. Where nothing pops out or stands out. Almost nothing anyone does or says feels rooted in recognizable character traits, and despite Marsden's most sincere efforts, he finds himself once again unable to meet Sonic's eyeline, a production kerfuffle that would be funny were it not also another reminder of VFX crunch. Then again, who can blame Marsden's character for not wanting to gaze into a soulless blue abyss? What an asshole. Um... A soulless blue abyss? What is he? Alright, this is the name of that guy's review. Video game's fastest hero stumbles forward without charm or personality. Um, I don't really agree with that. There was a line early on in in the movie where Sonic goes... He was talking about a movie, I forget the movie, but he was hating on a movie, and he was like, that movie is the worst, which is, it felt like a callback to his John Raphael character from Parks and Rec, which I'm sure it was, or he just threw that in. I thought he was fine. Um, I think the good, the first movie did a good job of creating a story based on these characters and somehow grounding it in reality. So you have this alien creature, Sonic. By the way, the opening to Sonic 1, is it's cool because it looks like the video game. I wish they would go back to that in the movies. Like, I, I know that Green Hills is the name of the city, the town in, in on Earth, but I wish they would somehow go back because that opening to Sonic 1, it looked really cool. But you have him running away from these enemies and this mother figure named Longclaw saves him and tells him to keep running. He ends up on Earth and he meets a Donut Lord. And I don't know, they, they did a good job of somehow creating a story that felt grounded and solid and funny and there was adventure in that first one second one they could have done something similar and they kind of did they just like i already mentioned they just inserted a bunch of fluff and 
dumb sequences that didn't need to be in there and could have been reduced because, again, why, why two hours? Sonic 2, why? Future. I will end this episode with Future. In February 2022, Sega of America blah 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 confirmed that Sonic the Hedgehog 3 and a Knuckles spin-off series are in development. Elba will reprise his role as Knuckles for the series, which is set for release on the streaming service Paramount Plus in 2023, whereas the next film is aiming for a 2024 release. In April 2022, after Carey announced that he was considering retiring from acting, producers Moritz and Asher confirmed that his role as Dr. Robotnik would not be recast in any sequels if he followed through with his retirement plans, though they remained hopeful that they could develop a script good enough for him to continue the role. Um, if... I am I going to watch the third one probably cuz I've watched the first and second one and you know my opinion might change if I if I watch this again I feel like I probably won't at least not anytime soon also I was I was watching it on Paramount Plus in my room downstairs and the connection is terrible so every few sec, first of all, the whole movie is blurry the whole time, and then every few seconds it's like buffering, buffering, spinning circle, spinning circle, buffering, and I I had to turn off the TV and turn it back on to, just to gain the connection back again. It's a terrible life. Jim Carrey, I loved in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. He was incredible in that movie. If you haven't seen it. You, you would think, how are they going to tame this madman, this mad, crazy, over-the-top comedian for this very grounded, dramatic role? And I don't think he just pulls it off. I think he nails it out of the park. That's not a phrase, but Eternal Sunshine with the Spotless Mind, he's great in it. And I think a lot of the accolades went to... Um, Kate Winslet, and she's also great in it, but I just more related to Jim Carrey's character because he's like depressed and anxious about women. And it's also a great movie. And he's only 60, so I don't know. Well, I guess he has all the money in the world, so he has, he could retire anytime he wanted. But as they're already making the third one i i feel like he's one of the only things that could salvage the movies at least for me a grown up in his 30s um without him i feel like i wouldn't even want to watch the next installments in the franchise so i i i hope he's not retiring also i i like him um you know, Pat and Joe on We'll See You in Hell always talk about him. And he always, Jim Carrey always says, like, I'm an illusion. And he's kind of up his own ass. And I, I haven't really seen any of those clips. The clip that I keep going back to is because he, he's at that graduation. And he says, he's giving a speech. And he says, 
My father was a very funny man and he could have been a comedian, but he decided to go the another route and become an accountant. And eventually he got fired from his job, so he had to do anything he could to put food on the table. And he said, my father was a great man, but he's living proof that you could fail at what you don't want. So you might as well do something that you do love, which is a great quote. I turn to it often. It's very inspiring. And, you know, I I like him as a presence. I liked him in that first movie. He's also funny in the incredible, the wonderful Burt Wonderstone um i hope he doesn't retire but at the same time he's he's given a lifetime of great performances funny performances dramatic performances so you know if he wants to rest uh so be it that's going to do it for this episode uh, an hour and 28 minutes let me revisit the list of movies based on video games. I don't have to revisit it because I know what's next on the list. It's Mortal Kombat. Uh, Mortal Kombat and Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Followed by Wing Commander. Which I'm unfamiliar with the movie and I'm unfamiliar with the game. Also, in the poster that's popping up here, it stars Freddie Prince Jr. and Matthew Lillard, who were both in She's All That and, I believe, the Scooby-Doo movies. So I guess they have some sort of either friendship or acting pact that contractually obligates them to be in movies together. I don't know. You know what's funny is there is a there is a plethora of movies based on video games but looking at this list it kind of all started with Super Mario Brothers in 93 which is not that long ago and then by 2001 you're already at Laura Croft Tomb Raider which was you know, 21 years ago. There's, I mean, when you, there's not that much, but there's different categories on this page. So there's English language, live action, theatrical releases. So that's what I'm mainly looking at. But when you, I'm interested in Borderlands mostly because Eli Roth is directing and I've become sort of a fan from seeing him speak not really from his movies i haven't seen many of his movies i saw knock knock i didn't love it but i liked um ana de armas so other categories are animated japanese live action japanese animated um, japanese releases mandarin cantonese live action mandarin cantonese animated Television films, direct-to-video live action, direct-to-video animation, short films, documentaries on video games, 
uh, television documentaries, other releases. There's a movie called Get Lamp. Um, I don't know what that's about. Get Lamp. What the? Get Lamp is a documentary and inter about interactive. Oh about interactive fiction, a genre that includes text adventures filmed by computer historian Jason Scott of textfiles.com. Get Lamp. Now I get it, but at the same time, I still don't get it. Also, there's a whole genre of films with plots centered on video games. So they're movies not directly based on a video game, but movies like Tron, War Games, Joysticks, which I believe is softcore pornography, and I think I saw it. Um, um, a lot of these I haven't heard of, um, like Spy Kids, which, oh boy. Well, I'd want to watch it because of Lava Girl. Grandma's Boy, which I remember liking. Scott Pilgrim, which I believe I reviewed on the show, Tron Legacy, Wreck-It Ralph, which I loved the first one, Pixels, which I liked, um, Jumanji, I guess, Redder Player, Ready Player One, Choose or Die, 8-Bit Christmas, Free Guy. Um, so I'm not sure what the next one will be, but Mortal Kombat is probably on the horizon I know I said that's all I got uh, seven minutes ago, five minutes ago, but here we are. I hope you're well. I hope you're taking care of yourself, your body, your mind. Um, I hope your pets are okay. Say hi to your pets for me. Uh, should I change the po- the name of this podcast to Say Hi to Your Pets For Me? Does anyone know how to change the name of your of your podcast or do you just have to start over? I don't know. Um say hi to your pets for me. Is that anything? I'm going to look it up. Say hi to your pets for me. Um the first thing that comes up is a an Amazon shirt that's it's all black and it just has white text that says say hi to your dog for me Etsy say hi to your dog shirts I think I just I think I just tapped into something um, I should change the name of this podcast to say hi to your pets for me just because it's random and dumb and I'm random and dumb and I'm also random I gotta go. Uh, thanks. F- uh, if you like Jesus Christ, if you like Final Fantasy VII videos, if you like Final Fantasy VII, check out YouTube.com/slash Odd Drummer Gaming. I had 391 subscribers, and then recently I checked. Now I have 390. So someone jumped the ship, and I'm gonna be honest. It feels terrible because. Even when your sub count is increasing, you still feel like a disappointment to everyone and you feel like a loser. But when someone jumps ship, it's like basically them saying, 
you know, I don't like you. I don't want to be notified when you make new content. Also on my last video, I didn't even check for the comments. You're supposed to check for comments and respond right away. It's been almost two weeks since my last video. I didn't even check my comments and I feel terrible, but I have anxiety problems and I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So once again, that was youtube.com slash oddrummergaming. If you like drums and video games, check out youtube.com slash drum. Thank you, dogs. YouTube.com slash drumj8. I haven't posted in a very long, very long time just because life's exhausting. Life is exhausting, ain't it, folks? Thanks for listening. Stay odd and keep on playing. <laughs>